Kia ora guys, awesome, thank you all for coming. I'm not using the microphone, I hope that that's okay and you guys can all hear me all good. Just let me know if you can't or if I mumble or anything like that and then I can, James can probably flick a microphone on for me but we'll, um, we'll try and track along without it. Kia ora. Um, yeah, so I guess just in the way of introductions, my name is Caleb. I am an elder at Redeemer Church in Tauranga. So I live over in Tauranga with my wife and my uh, daughter. Um, I am a uh, counsellor over in Tauranga and I run a uh, private practice from my home where I work uh, privately and I also run contracts for the uh, DHB and PHO, so government sort of pay contracts. Wherein if you go to the GP and say, I want help and stuff, I might be one of the people that you get sent to if you live in Tauranga. Um, so that's a little bit about what I do. I studied at uh, BTI, so Bethlehem Tertiary Institute over in the Bay. Um, yeah, and enjoyed my time there. Uh, that's me. So I've worked in um, high schools, run various uh, programs, uh, um, sort of launched out of uh, AUT and stuff like that around mental health and been involved um, in some, a whole lot of like research and stuff like that, that uh, around uh, youth and mental health and things like that. So yeah, that's, uh, that's me. Um, yeah, so uh, I am talking about uh, Christians and mental health or Christianity and mental health. And just hopefully, my, my goal basically today is just to maybe sort of um, answer a few questions, uh, clear up some, uh, any sort of like confusion people might have around mental health or, or queries or worries people might have about mental health and accessing mental health services. Um, and I you know, may end up causing more questions than I do provide answers. And that's fine. This will not be a comprehensive uh, guide to mental health and your engagement in it. Come on in, guys. Awesome. Come and grab a seat. So um, what I thought I would crack on with uh, to open us up was just to look at some objections that I have heard uh, in my practice and have had before before I started studying counselling that people have towards um, sort of accessing mental health services uh, or engaging in counselling or therapy and stuff for themselves. So um, also uh, at the end I'm going to open it up to any questions you have and they can be around what I'm talking about here specifically uh, they can be more broad uh, one thing I would ask you is just to take care of yourselves uh, so if content comes up that makes you feel uh, uncomfortable absolutely feel free to go to the bathroom and and take off and don't be here for the rest of it and stuff like that not diving deep diving into anything uh, super hectic um, but just to, for you guys to be mindful to take care of yourselves and your own mental well-being and stuff like that sitting in here as we talk these things and be respectful of each other. Um, so uh, a couple of things, um, objections that I um, hear when it comes to uh, mental health. So some general objections that um, people, uh, both Christians and non-Christians, I've heard have before. Um, one of the big ones being that I've been to therapy before and it didn't work. Um, get this uh, a lot um, and... Uh, not a lot, but I, I hear people sort of say that um, this sort of thing, and my uh, my challenge to that, I think, is, is that often comes out of sort of an assumption about how thought sort of therapy works, right? So you go and see your doctor. Your doctor is kind of medically all known, and the advice they give you. Um, you, you follow, right? And they provide a lot of information. Whereas counseling and therapy is a lot about a relationship. So you go and you meet the person and you connect with them. And obviously, there are plenty of people whom you will not connect with. You've experienced this in life. This is true of therapists also. So it's really important for therapy that you kind of connect with therapists. It's their job to try and facilitate that and make that happen. So it's often the case for people who sort of say, I've been to therapy and it didn't work. I've tried this person. I went to the school counselor. I did this. And it just wasn't for me. 
Um, each uh, therapist is unique in and of themselves uh, as a person, but they're also unique uh, in terms of their um, training and the way in which they, they practice. So, yeah, different counselors and therapists work different ways. They use different models of counseling and therapy. Um, it requires that relationship, and you'll connect with some better than others. Shop around. Sometimes uh, you'll, have, you'll have heard of people going to their um, doctor, their GP, and getting some advice, and it just didn't sit with them. It just kind of um, didn't match either their worldview or it didn't um, fit with what they thought was going on in their body or whatever. And so they go and they seek someone else and get a, a different opinion. And you can absolutely do the same thing with counselors and therapists. And they, the good ones, which is most of them, they typically don't take it personally, right? So they're not going to be offended if you go, the way we're working here isn't really for me. Thank you for your time, but I'm going to try and go somewhere else. They'll almost always be even willing to help you find someone else, right? Because they'll know other people who practice slightly differently or whose personality might func you know, sort of suit uh, you and what you're looking for um, better. So shop around and even feel free if you have seen someone to talk to them about that. Um, so another objection that I've heard is that mental health is actually just a choice and people just need to chill out and stop stressing. So that's why people shouldn't engage in mental health. Um, uh, mental health problems are not being in a bad mood, right? So they're not feeling like just kind of stink. Um, they're uh, a function of uh, our brain. So this afternoon, I think my elective, I'm talking a whole lot about the brain. So this will clarify this up um, even more if you decide to come to this one. Feel free to go to a different one. Um, that uh, mental health problems are a situation um, happening within the brain and it's not an attitude problem, okay? So uh, there is a, a, a spectrum of, of mental health issues, sort of like, like extreme mental health issues um, and uh, lower level mental health issues. And mental health issues are uh, function within our, our brain, right? And so that's what counselors and therapists help you to uh, support you to uh, sort of work through um, how those have, have come about and what you can do uh, practically, cognitively uh, to help yourself through that. Um, so um, mental health is not simply a choice, but we can choose to uh, support each other through it um, and choose to go and access help for it. Um, I don't know if my case is serious enough. Um, I get that a lot of people um, sort of like, oh yeah, you know, been struggling with this for a while. I ask them, how long? Oh, about six years. I go, okay. And, and I might be the first person that they've come and talked to about that. And there's been that sort of question mark about not accessing help sooner because they weren't sure if it's really serious enough. You know, like I'm not, I've met other people and they're like, they're right up here and stuff. And I'm, I'm maybe not quite there. So should I go and access help? Um, from the perspective of someone in the field, uh, the sooner the better. Um, the sooner that you can access help and support um, and, um, and deal with things sooner, the better. Your doctor would advise you the same thing on a, a physical health issue, uh, the sooner the better. So much the same thing with mental health. Uh, if you are experiencing what you have heard of might be symptoms of mental health in any way, um, even if it may not be like a developing serious mental health problem, but maybe sort of a circumstantial challenge, um, going and talking to a, a counsellor can be really, really helpful for that. Um, some more sort of specifically uh, Christian objections might be things um, that I've heard like, all you need is the Bible, um, which is in one hand and in one sense and how we use language and words in that is, is true. Like the Bible is ultimately in that sense all we need. So like all we need is, uh, is God and the gospel. True in an ultimate sense. Um, but if we take that in a literal sense, all we need is the Bible, you'll get hungry very quickly um, and you will starve to death. Uh, or probably sooner 
because you didn't drink any water. So like there is that, that like obvious sense, we go, oh, we all, yeah, of course we know we need to eat, and we need to drink, and we need to do these other things, we need to exercise and stuff and have relationships and things like that. So in that uh, sort of uh, broader sense and the, the way that things um, impact us, yes, like, like uh, God is ultimate, his scripture and word is, is final say, um, but also that in, in common grace and in God's goodness to us, there is much in life uh, and in our world that we get to participate in, um, in, in good food and good company and wonderful activities. Some of you just went and did, you know, archery and swam and did all these other like awesome things. And it's, it's good for us and we enjoy these things. Um, yeah, so um, uh, one um, uh, uh, therapist uh, from the United States, David Murray, who um, uh, is a um, lecturer at, um, where's your lecture? Uh, he's a professor of uh, Old Testament and Practical Theolo uh, Theology at the Puritan Reformed Theological Seminary. I'm glad I wrote that down. Um, so he said this about sort of the idea of like, like biblical counseling. So Christians who become counselors, um, that for some biblical means Bible only. For them, biblical counseling could be more accurately renamed Bible counseling. In principle, it means that only the Bible uh, that you use only the Bible in counseling people. Nothing else is helpful and anything else is compromised. That, however, is not how the idea of biblical is historically been understood. In the past, it has meant that something is either contained in the Bible or consistent with the Bible. That's, uh, that's based on the belief that God has revealed uh, truth in two places, in the Word and in the world, where, therefore, we discover God's truth by reading God's Word and reading God's world through the lens of God's words. I said it again. Um, we discover truth by reading God's word and reading God's world through the lens of God's words. So God's word in the Bible being the ultimate authority. So then when we engage in things, even when you, you, know, you go to your doctor, your physio, you, your teacher, your lecturer and stuff like that, the information that's presented to you, we then as Christians, we interpret that through the lens of scripture, the information that's given to us. Um, even around, so um, uh, Tony this morning, right? You know, so he was even talking about like that idea of meditation, right? So there are different ideas of meditation. There is a Christian understanding of meditation and there is sort of a sort of Eastern uh, mysticism sort of idea around what meditation looks like. And so like the, con the base concept of meditation there is a, a Christian view, a biblical view in which to look at that. So the same is true with uh, the rest of the truth that we discover in the world in science or psychology. Um, what else have I got? lost my place. Uh, so um, I've got another quote here from, um, uh, that I found really helpful in thinking about some of the stuff from uh, an uh, awesome uh, preacher that I really appreciate named Kylum. Uh, over in Australia. So he um, was talking specifically about um, church planting and pastors and that and sort of the heavy load that they um, bear in expectation. Um, and he sort of mentioned that as a, a church plant sought to build gospel culture, uh, so as a church planter, you know, seeking to um, build gospel culture, I turned issues of first importance into issues of sole importance. Gospel centrality became gospel exclusivity. Christ and his salvation were the fix to every problem and the answer to every question. While it's true the gospel is what we ultimately need when we are planning a church or leading one, it's not the only thing we need. Developing leadership, communication systems, and skills all play uh, significant roles in establishing a healthy church and being a healthy person. 
So that idea that the gospel is absolutely central. So when we think about um, our bodies, when we think about our minds, when we think about our relationships, our families, how we approach our work, the gospel is obviously central in all these things, but there is um, information and support to be found um, in, in creation and in God's sort of common grace to us that can be really helpful for us to be able to access and utilize. Um, Another one would be that, so a non-Christian counselor won't understand my faith and its importance. Uh, correct. Some of the things that I would put to that, so some of the sort of assumptions kind of made in that thinking. One is that, um, is that a Christian counselor will understand your faith and its importance. Um, we're, we're rather fortunate in this country that actually just over half of sort of all registered uh, counselors and therapists actually claim to be Christian, which is really cool. So there are two professional bodies for, for uh, counselors in New Zealand. One is the um, NZAC, so the New Zealand Association of Counselors, and one of them is NZCCA, so New Zealand Christian Counselors Association. And the NZCCA is actually the larger of the two and has more members. Um, which is really, really cool. So there is a, a lot of counsellors, so it's kind of a slightly higher than 50-50 chance if you go see a counsellor, that they come from some understanding of, of God exists and the Bible is important and, um, and that sort of thing, which is really, really cool. Um, if a counsellor is not a Christian, no, they will not directly understand your faith uh, and its importance the way that you understand it. Um, but as well, as you've experienced, there is a broad umbrella of people that uh, come that come under the sort of broad umbrella that will call themselves um, Christian and some of them will believe that things like the Bible and church are very important and there are some who call themselves Christian who don't think the Bible matters at all and they don't think church or anything like that matters at all um, they might not even think praying is particularly important or anything like that right so there's a broad spectrum and so the counselor you're sitting there talking to um, is probably not going to sit there and give you a comprehensive unpacking of their personal theology um, but what's really um, helpful to know about um, how counselors and therapists are trained is that they are, are not trained to um, sit there and unpack their own personal beliefs onto you, but rather help you unpack and better understand your own beliefs. So both a Christian and non-Christian counselor will ask you things about spirituality, faith, your understanding of why you're here, what's your, what your purpose is. Um, and those are really helpful qu questions for Christians and non-Christians, for Christians to be able to think more clearly, dig more deeper into their faith and what that actually means and how that impacts their life. And for non-Christians uh, non to sort of unpack and understand better, like do they have a sense of purpose? Where does purpose come from like you know and that sense that actually is in all of us and I haven't met a person yet who doesn't have it that sense of searching for longing for looking for meaning and I genuinely mean that I haven't met someone yet that doesn't have some sense of that um, um, yeah so um, you know uh, when it comes to uh, accessing mental health if you're struggling with mental health um, uh, do it. If you could find a, a Christian counsellor, that could be really, really helpful um, to, to have that. If you can't, it's not necessarily necessary uh, for you to get mental health support from that, that person. If they're any good, they will not undermine your beliefs, right? Because that's not their jobs and that's not how mental health support works. It's not to undermine your beliefs about purpose and why you were here but even actually better to utilize that and understand how that works for you um, thought randomly came to me when I was uh, preparing my notes this week was that um, your surgeon might not be a Christian but if your appendix bursts you'll go to them anyway um, 
So the, similar with struggling with mental health, go, go and access mental health services if you can see, or in people at all, <laughs> as well, if people have seen around you who love you, uh, clearly that it might be helpful for you to do so. Um, so could, uh, should Christians engage in mental health services? Um, ultimately, obviously, as a counsellor, I'm somewhat biased, but I say uh, my answer is yes, if they need to. Um, people sort of uh, ask, Christians will ask uh, questions of me, like things like, so can, can't, my, um, can't my pastor counsel me? Um, your pastor can absolutely provide um, like love and care and scriptural wisdom and guidance and speak into things in a, in a direct and helpful and amazing way um, that your counsellor can't because your therapist isn't going to speak um, directly and weightedly into your uh, decision making like your pastor might when they counsel you. You know, you say, say to your, um, your pastor, like, man, you know, really, you know, really thinking about you know, moving in with my girlfriend and I don't really know if we're going to get married and stuff. Your pastor's probably going to go, don't do that. Um, your counselor's going to ask you how you're processing that, like why you think that, like what your system of values are there and stuff like that and, and dig, dig into that. So they work differently. So your pastor isn't going to be your therapist. Your pastor is going to provide you pastoral care. So you seek um, those people for that pastoral care. Um, and if you, are, if you are accessing a mental health service, someone you know is, and they're a Christian, encourage them to also be getting pastoral care at that time, to be able to be talking to their pastor or their elder about the things that they're discussing uh, in therapy as they feel uh, comfortable to do so, and some of the things in, that uh, you're looking at with uh, a therapist or a counsellor. Um, yeah, um, they can't give you therapy if they're not a trained therapist, ultimately. Um, so uh, one of the other things I wanted to talk about when it comes to mental health, because often surrounds it, is so things like mental health medication. So uh, you know, what do I, I do as a Christian if my um, doctor or my counsellor wants to talk about or recommend uh, mental health medication? Um, uh, my, my, my first sort of uh, advice for, for Christians who are worried about that is to ask questions, right? So your, um, your doctor, your, uh, your counsellor should know um, a fair amount about the medication that they might want to recommend. Um, you have the freedom of choice there. If you wish to engage in that and you can sort of see rationally how that might be helpful for you, wonderful. If you have no idea how medication or the kind of medications that they might want to recommend are helpful, research it, look it up. Um, uh, most mental health medication uh, prescribed in places like New Zealand and Australia are fairly safe, Don't not necessarily have no symptoms, but are fairly safe. Um, it is extremely difficult to uh, do anything like overdose on them uh, or anything like that because um, the way that they are designed now, the SSRI sort of medication. Um, the way I sort of, um, if I can use this, Black seems to show up best. All right. The way I often sort of uh, describe to help people understand how mental health medication works um, is if, if this was um, uh, someone's uh, life experience and the spectrum of how they experience uh, sort of uh, their emotion and their cognitive uh, like thinking and things like that. And most people typically sort of like uh, most sort of uh, mentally well and well-developed people will function somewhere in here like this, right? You have some good days, have some bad days, but somewhere around, 
around the middle-ish, right? Um, you'll have probably heard of things like, um, so bipolar disorder, which is extreme uh, ends, so very, very high, very, very low, and swinging like that. And for people, their lived experience is something like this. For people who experience um, extreme anxiety, their experience is something like this. And for people who experience um, depression, it's something like this. You get the idea somewhat outside of what one might perceive to be the sort of norms. What medication can help to do for some is in effect put um, bars in. You've been bowling uh, and you see there's little like, like kitty lean like bars that they put up so you don't gut a bowl every time like I would. Right, what they help to in effect sort of help uh, establish these max perimeters. Some people have talked about um, having tried me um, mental health medication before, and they feel they react. Well, they feel like they react really adversely to it because they have a sense of feeling uh, numb. That can often be the case for people's why mental health medication and seeing a therapist hand in hand uh, is really important and really helpful uh, for them to, be able to understand that what that sensation is isn't that they're particularly necessarily feeling numb. The intention of the medication is not to numb you, but is that what they're used to feeling is this. So then when some degree of normalcy comes in, that feels like nothing. Um, the extremes that their uh, body and brain are used to are so extreme that medication sort of makes it feel like they're not feeling anything at all. What having those in at that time is not a solution. Right? Mental health medication is not uh, proposed as a solution to mental health problems. Um, they provide an opportunity to work on the, uh, the uh, effects that are going on, so to uh, hand in hand, see, see a therapist, see your GP, um, and, and start working on, on different things. And often most um, GPs uh, with their salt, unless the situation they can see is extreme, will try to get people to um, do other things before they even suggest medication, right? So to work on, so physically, right? Because our, our body, brain, mind is all interconnected. So, you know, how are you sleeping? How are you eating, right? You know, are you exercising? All these sorts of things start attending to that. Have you, do you have community around you? Are you talking to people? Do, do people know how you're feeling? Right, go and attend to these things before they look at things like medication. Um, so that's just some information about medication, try and take some of the mysticism out of, uh, out of it. Um, you know, they don't do like lobotomies or anything anymore, so none of that's gonna, gonna happen. Um, yeah, so how, how I work as a therapist, so the sort of two modes or models of therapy that I'm trained in particularly are uh, CBT, so cognitive behavioral therapy, and narrative therapy. Um, so CBT, looking at how our um, thinking and behavior um, interact and how we can alter one to affect the other and working on both together. So looking at our patterns of thinking and patterns of behavior and looking at how we might alter those intentionally to then sort of boost the cycle, right? We, we help our thinking, change our, some of our behavior, change some of our patterns of behavior to change some of our patterns of thinking. Um, narrative therapy, looking at the stories that we sort of uh, make about ourselves and we understanding where those come from, right? So you'll, you'll probably know people like this. Now, I fortunately only know like maybe two of you in here, so none of this is personal to anyone, um, but people uh, you'll no doubt know will say things like, oh yeah, like I'm so, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just a clumsy person. Right. It's a story that they tell them about themselves. Like, oh, yeah, yeah, I'm such an idiot. 
you know, these sorts of things, right? Stories that we tell about ourselves. Now, language is a very powerful indicator about the stories that we tell. So that's the idea of narrative therapy, is where do the stories we tell about ourselves, the way we think about uh, other people and relationships, like where do they come from, right? So if people say things like, yeah, man, love hurts, right? There's some understanding that story, that narrative has come from somewhere where they've had some experience and you can see how that has formed. So helpful and unhelpful narratives in a person's life. So I work largely with those and in particular um, using ideas around neuroscience and neuropsychology. So how your brain has developed, which is what I'm talking about this afternoon, over time being able to understand how your brain works uh, in order to uh, utilize the incredible design and gift that God has given us in our brains. Um, to uh, help us to be more well, healthy, um, well-developed human beings, uh, Christians and friends and family. So that's the bulk of sort of how, how I work and hopefully answering some of the questions or concerns you might have around uh, mental health. Um, and I imagined that coming here, I didn't imagine the group would be this big, but I imagined that coming here that um, people might have a whole bunch of questions that you might like to uh, be able to um, ask a, th a therapist. Um, so I'm going to open up to a Q&A. What I'm hopefully not looking for um, is for me to unpack your mental health issues going on here right now. This is not really the context in which I think it would be best to do that. So we won't, we won't do that. So not so much like um, sort of like, like personal work through questions and stuff, but more broadly maybe about um, whatever you've, you've, you've come in mind with, like how you might help someone who's um, experiencing a struggle with mental health or, or whatever sort of that. So if you guys want to sort of think about kind of any particular uh, questions you might have about anything that I've said or anything you've thought you might would like to ask a therapist or a Christian therapist or how that works um, before, I'll open it up if anyone has any questions. Yes. Um, how, what advice would you give to avoid kind of giving hollow advice and hollow help to people who are helping them help? Hollow? Help, help and like advice to them. Like they come to you and they say, how do you avoid Sure, yeah, yeah. So that's, that's a common one. There's a very natural thing in us when, when someone comes to us, we want, we want to help them, right? So someone we, we care about, or typically like sort of like, you know, in human nature, someone comes up and they're like, you know, hurt something like that, you want to you do something, right? Um, the, the tendency in, in many of us is to try and fix things, right? And with mental health being a, a, a fairly complex and complicated situation, um, we can be often, uh, without any training or um, being in the wrong context, we can be about as helpful to that person who's coming to us with their mental health problems uh, sometimes when we try to fix it as we can to someone who's been like, my appendix just burst! And it's kind of like, well, I cannot help you with that. I will call 911. So often I would actually suggest a similar thing, not to call 911 if someone's like, man, I'm really struggling with... Um, you know, mental health, and I feel down a lot. They're like, well, just let me just call the police for you. Um, but to help them access help. Mental health will often, is often very isolating for people. Obviously, people talk about, like, you know, the sort of the stigma around it. People don't, uh, feel uncomfortable talking about that um, because it's largely misunderstood. So being able to help people feel um, accepted and loved and cared for and encouraging them in that to be able to access help. So if you're in a church, being able to talk to um, your, your pastors, your, your elders, um, people that you, you trust who sort of disciple and care for you, helping them come along and bring support in around that, that they can feel safe and comfortable with, uh, with that. Um, one thing I would really encourage you uh, to do, particularly so like, you know, if you're here and you've got, you've got campus or something like that, or you're like leading a youth group, um, is not to promise 
something you can't keep, right? So don't promise confidentiality and don't promise to fix the problem. Some of the problems that um, some particularly young people will face are complex and can take a long time to work through. Um, and without the proper training, you will not uh, fix that problem. So don't, don't promise things uh, that we can't deliver, but, but you can uh, ensure them of what you can deliver, which is to try and support them as best you can with the skills and capabilities you have. So I think um, being honest about what we're capable of, um, reassuring, them, reassuring them of our care towards them, um, and empathizing with them. Hearing and validating um, their experience is a really, really powerful thing. Um, no doubt you uh, people as, as uh, young leaders in that will have had plenty of young people come to you because of the relationship you've built with them and share things with you that they may have never shared with anyone before. It's really, really helpful uh, for their going forward um, if that, that information can be validated, which is, is no more than I, I hear you and I hear what you're saying and I hear how that feels for you and my heart goes out for you, right, which doesn't doesn't fix anything, but it validates and uh, their experience. And that validation will be really helpful for them going forward to being able to, with the, the right people, um, professionals and the, their pastors and maybe parents and that who care about them, uh, being able to continue to help them get well in there. Um, does that answer your question, man? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I have a question about um, how it connects to sin. Mm -hmm. So where the origins sometimes of mental health can be because of sin that we've addressed. Mm. Yeah, what do you say to that? Yeah, so um, on on some level, it's uh, it, there's there's always sin. So think people have things done to them. People do things, um, and and on some level that is sin. So like, so some people really struggle with mental health because of their um, their their upbringing, right? So they were raised in a really like dangerous or violent home, something like that. That's clearly a situation of sin, and that's impacted. Um, them. Uh, so there's, so at, at some point um, you can always find like where um, uh, ultimately we are, uh, you know, we're, we live in the world that is affected by the fall and sin has impacted this world um, and, like, and, and the way in which we function in it. So, so yes, yeah, sin um, plays a part at, at some point and that's why, um, you know, I said at the beginning, you know, that the, the, the gospel and, and, and the, the word in that is, is is primary in that. So yeah, as, I'm not sure if I answered your, your question there or not, but. Yeah, yeah, I think like, just thinking about like the origins of sin, mm -hmm. if, I mean, the origins of mental health issues, if they are in sin, mm -hmm. then with medication, not just putting things up, even though it is real mental health issues that they have, you know, so you're like what you're talking about mm -hmm. this, Kind of fluctuation mm. if bipolarism is like it is genuinely bipolarism but it was caused by sin so, yeah particularly like particularly of something that, that like they may have done or a situation that yeah, they put themselves like into or okay yeah yeah so um you know um our our sin has um our choices and actions and as well as our sin like have um, real consequences and effects on us, right? So our brain has a, a, a particular wonderful, complex, but wonderful design that, that God has given to us. And the environment we grow up in, the choices that we make have an impact on that brain. So I would kind of, if I'm understanding what you're asking, I would sort of say um, uh, some of the decisions that we make in sin issues can then affect how our brain 
functions and then negatively affect us. So like people who choose to, just in that same way that people that choose to um, uh, drink and drive and that sort of thing, if they crash can physically be um, maimed and affected sometimes for the rest of their life by the, the, the sort of the sin decision that they made, um, true can be of, of uh, their mental health. So that, that person um, horrifically affected by uh, the decision they made to drink and drive, um, where I, a physical therapist, would still try to help them to get well in their body and stuff like that and, and understand what their, how their decisions led to what happened to them. Um, this, and the same is true of therapy, being able to help people to understand how the decisions that they made and how the things that they've gone through have affected um, how their, their mental health works and things like that. Yeah. Yeah, so I, so I would say that like in medication will typically, um, with the other added supports in that, actually bring uh, clarity. People often struggle to actually have any understanding where, like why they have mental health issues um, or struggle for their, their brain sort of struggle to even think about some of the either things they did or things that happened to them um, because it just seems too horrific. So like medication and the extra support can be helpful for them to see more clearly, to actually look at and address those sorts of things, be they sort of sin issues or things that had happened to them or whatever. Mm. Yeah. Yes. I'm um, just kind of going off that mm. a little bit as well. Um, if if the if your parents stated that um, you know seeing a therapist or a counsellor um, is important and is not necessary to have a exclusively Christian um, counsellor. Mm. How would a counsellor who's not coming from a Christian worldview handle the issue of sin if it was perhaps a sin that mm. their worldview would say that that's not a sin? Sure. And then they'd probably maybe try and make the person feel more comfortable with the sin that they did. The choices they're making? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, so like a person's a therapist or a person's worldview is going to inevitably come into a play to a point that a big part of their training is to as much as humanly possible, and I say as humanly possible because it's not, it's humanly impossible to not have it happen at all, um, to withhold their own personal worldviews to not let that weigh in as much. Um, what they will use is, is, is different terminology. So I'm a, um, a, a Christian who is a counsellor um, and so when people come and talk to me, I understand, so Christians and non-Christians, I have an understanding in my worldview on, uh, on sin, right? So like the, the things that they, you know, this happened to me, that's sin. Like, you know, I went out and I did this and stuff. Like, I understand that is sin. Um, but to, to, to withhold that and to see how their, their actions and behavior and choices like have, have an impact and to um, particularly like explore, so then it, you sort of, you know, um, you know, raises questions of like morality and meaning and stuff like that, how people to unpack like how they, they formed those idea. Like, oh, you know, um, um, you know, I, you know, like they you know, cheated on their spouse, something like that. Being able to understand like, why did you do that? Like why either in that, in that moment or in your thinking now, like why is that okay? Is that not okay? Do you feel like, do you feel guilt about that? What do you think that that is? Like, what do you do with that? Being able to understand, so that so the, the terminology is different. A non um, a non Christian counselor um, won't understand sin as a Christian understands it, but they will understand that our actions, choices, experiences have consequences on how our brain functions and how our mental health works. And that's where it's really important, I think, for Christians to be receiving um, 
Christian sort of biblical theological support through their life anyway, um, but particularly through mental health struggles, things that they've been through and things that they have done. So that's, you know, that's why we're encouraged to confess our sins to one another mm. within the body so that we have that. Um, so your, your, your therapist is not there to call you out on your sin and they won't do that. It's not a part of their work, no more than your you know, podiatrist will do that. It's a foot doctor. Yeah, yeah man. Yeah, I had, well, my question was like kind of similar to what you're talking mm-hmm. about, but it's just like how you say that your job as a therapist is not to like you know present or impose your own beliefs and views. Sure. Um, and so if you're as a Christian, mm. I mean, working with a non-Christian, mm. like how does your um, faith and the gospel kind of influence that? And like as you develop a relationship with this person, it's like man, like. <laughs> yeah, like, totally. How does that yeah. work out? Yeah, you know? yeah. So it's really, really hard. And Christian um, counselors and therapists have a, do like have a really strong heart struggle with that because uh, legally in this country uh, I cannot do that. So if someone comes to see me, I, you know, that kind of says, "Ah, oh, hi, my name is Kelly Johnson. Have you heard about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ?" Yeah. I can't legally do that, right? So that's against the law. Anyone could report me for that, and I would not be allowed to practice uh, ever again. Um, so it's very serious consequences for, for enforcing that. But there are workarounds within the law wherein I am allowed to share my faith. So um, within counselling, like all, pretty well all counsellors will talk at some point, because uh, you'll go through and talk about a person's entire life. You might think you're coming to talk about... Um, you know, like, you know, being like, you know, just like really badly bullied at school, but you'll end up talking about how things are going at home, your other relationships, your thoughts about meaning and purpose, spirituality and faith and stuff like that. And in that space, I fairly regularly will have people ask me, what do I think about faith and spirituality? Once someone asks me, what do you think about faith and spirituality? I have every legal right to share that. So it's about kind of creating opportunity and conversation and relationship and stuff like that for, for and, and building curiosity and stuff. Um, you know, or, or even if they ask me, why are you a counsellor? Like I am, I am a counsellor and went into the work I went into because of my faith. Um, and so that is then my, my opportunity to share that. So it is, it is tricky and it is hard, but there are workarounds and uh, a Christian therapist who wish to do so can typically find a way within the law to, to do so. Um, so yeah, can't be as direct as we might like, uh, but are, are allowed to sort of share our, our points of view around that sort of stuff, if we're clever. How do you um, look after and protect yourself? Say so you have... <laughs> uh, people in your life who are very, who, who need a lot of support. Mm. Mm. So how do you guys or how do I? Uh, anyone. Anyone, sure. Um, so I, I'm fortunate that that is a huge part of my training. So self-care, how do I look after myself? So I spend sort of six to seven hours a day sitting with people uh, as they tell me the, the very heavy darkness of their minds and their life and the things going on. And that ways that's a that's a toll that's a heavy thing if you've sort of sat with anyone for a couple hours and they've sort of told you some of the dark stuff they've gone through you afterwards you're like oh my goodness right and it's and it's heavy and you feel that and i i'm a human being and i feel that too so being trained to take care of ourselves is really important one of the things that i would really um sort of encourage particularly like young leaders and stuff like that around that is that to be mindful of that like deep drive to help people right we want to help 
and care for and love people, but we need to hold that imbalance in perspective, right? Someone's, again, the example, I don't know why I keep using this example, someone's appendix has burst, right? All your love and care for the world actually needs you to do a particular thing, which is to get them to someone who can actually help them. Um, when it comes to supporting people in mental health, we need to be mindful of our own limitations and what we can deal with. Um, so being mindful of, man, if, I, if, if I'm, I'm going to go and uh, talk to this young person and I know that they're stressing out at the moment and I know they're going to want to unload that to me, um, how am I going to take care of me later? Like how am I going to go sit, like try and slow my own mind, process the heavy things that they're telling me, understand what that means in, in scripture, like, you know, understand, you know, like, like how that has impacted me, right? People can share stuff with us and whether we like it or not, our mind starts running because of our own experiences and things have gone on for us. So like being able to be mindful of our own limitations, how things might affect us and how we're going to care for ourselves, right? If you are extremely tired and it's been a really long day and someone hits you up and been like, man, I feel like everything's falling apart. Can I come talk to you? It may be best for both you and them to either support them to find someone else to talk to at that time or say, hey, can we catch up tomorrow or in the morning? I'm just really shattered. I don't think I'd be particularly helpful for you. That is really hard. So we're talking about learning to say no. And it seems very harsh and hateful to say no to someone who seems desperate and is struggling. Um, but I would encourage you to have made it to that point. We are quite resilient creatures, thanks, thanks be to the Lord. Um, and they will most likely make it through to the morning to be able to talk to you then. So it is, it is hard. Tell them you love them, but you can't, you can't maybe provide what they might be looking for at that time. So finding a balance between how much you want to help and support them understand your own capacity and try and find a balance in that. And that's a learning, learning curve because obviously as we grow, so does our capacity to support people as we learn and add things to that. Yeah. What would you say to a young person who has been in and out of the sort of mental health services and feels like they're just a number mm. and that um, you know, no one really cares yeah. and that it's not very helpful and they just wouldn't really want to give it a go, another go. Yeah, yeah, so that's, yeah, exactly. So that's, that is really, really hard. And again, um, the system um, can, can very much feel like that. It's trying to deal with masses of, of people. So the statistics we know about, it's kind of like, um, like uh, experiencing mental health and then that we know of that then access help. It's like one in three women, one in five men, and those are the ones that sort of, put their hand up and access help. So the, the portion then of, of that sort of like maybe stepping their toe in but they're not quite doing it and things like that is much higher. Um, so it's a, a very underprepared, very short staffed, um, sometimes not particularly well trained system of mental health as far as the government sort of goes and um, public health systems trying to manage the, the bulk of um, the population's sort of mental health struggles. So it is unfortunately in this country not uncommon for that to, to happen. Um, public health can be really hard where people can access um, private services. Those are often um, better. So I work for myself, so I get to manage my books. If I don't want to see more people because I'm not feeling up to it, then I don't see more people. If I feel like I have capacity to see more than I can see more, which means that each person that I'm seeing gets my full attention and care. Um, often people in the public health sector, mental health nurses and those sorts of things, don't always have that freedom. 
um, they're expected to do more, and because more is needed, they're expected to do more than more, and then more. Um, and so there's there's a very high rate of sort of like burnout even amongst sort of mental health workers. So my encouragement would be to them to keep going because they have a right in this country to access services that are helpful to them and beneficial to them. Right, those mental health services should understand quite well that not each one person is going to connect with someone clearly. So I've had people come to me before, and they're like, oh, you're like kind of youngish, I thought counsellors were sort of in their 50s plus. Um, and they particularly weren't comfortable talking to me because of my age. It's totally fine. Because if they're not comfortable talking to me, then as much as I might be like, well, no, no, I'm a very well qualified and I read a lot and I'm well trained and things like that, um, I can't take a person because if they're not going to connect with me, I'm not going to be helpful to them anyway. So better that they find someone that they connect with. So my encouragement is for them to continue to try different avenues into mental health if the public sector hasn't worked then possibly the private if that's an option or if that's available yeah but there are also like in most places not in all but in most places there are also um sort of like uh charitable uh, services who provide counseling and they're managed like private counseling so that the therapists and mental health workers working there are like caring for themselves well and so able to work well um, but then are able to access it basically sort of like a core hard donation or for free um, depending so that that I know I know of a couple of places in Tauranga like that uh, and I'm sure it wouldn't be too difficult I wouldn't imagine to look up places like that in you know Hamilton and different towns and things so yeah yeah Anything else? Yo. Um, what does the medication side of things look like when somebody comes off it? Like, what is it? What are the long-term goals once somebody is off it? Do they go back to the extremes, or is it supposed to like help their mm. thoughts and stuff stay in that mellow kind of section? Yeah. So it's to, to return to a degree of uh, normalcy in terms of like like brain function, and you probably have heard people talk about like the chemicals in your brain. Um, so it's to help them basically. You put those. Yeah, if, you, if you think of that like the, the bowling in, right, is you, you put those up so that you're not gutter bowling the whole time until you've learnt to bowl yourself. And then those can come off, you get rid of the little like ramp thing, which you just sort of like roll the ball down and start there. You learn to like proper technique and things like that. So that's about like giving you the, the headspace and clarity to be able to engage um, better in therapy. Um, some people um, find it very difficult to engage in uh, mental health services because of their mental health. Right, so it's a, it's this very complicated sort of like uh, um, to and fro there. So, so medication can be helpful to help people to access the services to help them to get well, um, so then they don't need them. Think of them being uh, in that sort of like you know, physical parallel, being uh, somewhat more like crutches. They take off some of the weight, so that you can heal, be intentional, go see your physio and do all your exercises and things like that, and like how does this feel? And how does this, you know, doing all that sort of stuff like that, so that your body, your brain can get well. And then you, uh, so typically um, with most mental health medication, you taper off. So you might be on 25 milligrams or something like that, and you drop down to 20 for a couple of weeks, and then you drop down to 15 for a couple of weeks. And so it's a, a process of over time uh, dropping down off those things. And you work with your GP and with your therapist to mitigate sort of like any sort of like side effects you might have from that. It might upset things like sleep a little bit and stuff, so then you try and balance that. Yeah. Anything else? Um, do you think there's still a bit of a stigma around mental health in the church in New Zealand? And yeah, hugely. Yeah, hugely. So I think very much, I think New Zealand has a, a, a sort of stigma problem, right? We're very much like, she'll be right. Um, that, that carries over into the church as well. Um, not to like, you know, 
swing a bat at the older generation or anything like that, but there was, I think, more so a, a thinking around, um, you know, you'd sort of, you, you don't air your, your dirty laundry, that sort of thing, right? We don't talk about the stuff going home. My um, mother-in-law remembers when she was a kid that she didn't even understand that her mum, when she was having her other siblings, was even pregnant because you didn't talk about sex. You didn't talk about, because if you talk about pregnancy and babies, then you're talking about sex and we don't, we don't talk about sex or anything like that, right? So nothing was talked about. Mum would just go away for a couple of days and come back in here as a new baby. How did that happen? Don't worry about it, right? So like nothing was, was talked about. And that can, that can carry a little bit over into the sort of she'll be right, we won't talk about it. Um, it's no end of frustration to like pastors and church leaders as well when, when people come along and they're like, you know, Pastor Ola, we need your, we need your help. And like, what's going on? It's like, oh, this has been going on. How has it been going on for? Well, it's been going on for like four years. And they're like, well, you've been coming here for 10 years. Like, <laughs> why haven't you come? You know, we have a relationship and people often will um, just like not talk about things, uh, either feel like they, they can't or shouldn't. Um, a lot of that can be sort of like just attitudes you um, people were raised with. Like, don't be a bother to people. Don't burden them. Like, people aren't worried about your problems. Usually, like, they've got enough going on for themselves. Don't bother them. Um, so, that, like, those sorts of ideas can eat away at some of the real sort of like base um, uh, community uh, like and being able to communicate with each other well and openly. So yeah, I think there's definitely uh, a stigma around it, I think, within New Zealand culture, and that obviously permeates uh, in the church. Um, but I think the church has a really amazing opportunity to actually be a real leader um, in that socially about being able to talk more openly about um, mental health and mental health struggles and stuff like that. And I've seen different um, churches and church organisations Church planning organisations do really, really well in that, being able to talk about, so because, you know, a big one is pastors, elders, um, church planners, church leaders, youth leaders and that have like a, a fairly high rate of burnout, like this huge expectation, right? Here's this, you know, you know, 20, 30, 40, 50 sometimes, you know, young people, you know, and, and you, you've got you to take care of them all and stuff like that. And that's a huge expectation because it's a very complicated time of life. Uh, if you come and hear a bit about the brain and stuff like that, you'll understand a bit better why that's so complicated, that time of life. Um, and so it's a huge expectation. So there's uh, uh, mental health uh, struggles in that. Uh, it's very strong uh, in the church, and there can be a lot of uh, stigma, right, you know, and ideas around, like, oh, if you struggle with that, it's because you don't have enough faith, right? You're lacking in faith if you struggle in your, in your mental health, and you should have just prayed about it more and these sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, I think there's very much a stigma, but I think the church has an incredible opportunity to actually kind of, like, counter that and see, like, how an incredible gift of grace we are and can be to each other, like how we can um, access and make good use of the, like, kind of common grace around us that God is, is, is given to us. You know, are you unfit and want to know how to be fit? Go and talk to a personal trainer, right? You know, go and, like, you know, like Google some of the stuff, right? Um, you know, if you're struggling in your mental health, go and talk to a mental health professional. Um, so I think the church has an amazing opportunity in that, but I think definitely within New Zealand culture that um, that can tend to very much be a stigma. Yeah. Yo. Um, what sort of tools do you recommend for us to use to overcome that sort of stigma? I think developing um, open and honest like relationships are really important. So the church, um, right when we sort of look scripturally, like should be really good at that. Like we should be getting really good at like confessing our sins to one another. You know, mourning and grieving with each other. Grief naturally makes us very uncomfortable. We think about mortality and it sort of naturally makes us feel a bit, like, a bit uncomfortable for that. So, you know, we um, at Redeemer recently had a string of um, people in our church who have had family members pass away. You know, mum, husband that like pass away. 
um, and those people are grieving heavily. I am not like, I haven't lost someone just now, and so I'm not grieving heavily, but that Christian responsibility to go and be with them and grieve with them and care with them, I think we can kind of create, like just, just in following those um, sort of like uh, biblical principles of how we ought to be with one another can help us to actually foster a space where people feel, um, people can feel more comfortable to be able to talk openly Right, you know, so when it comes to even like issues of, of sin, because um, they will they'll play a role and stuff like that, people being able to confess our sins to, to one another and stuff like that. So we can go like, hey man, like you know, like you know, I'm glad you told me about this. I would love to like help you find some help so that you, you know, whatever, stop stop doing this. Let's get you some help. Good that you confessed it. Can we, maybe we could go ch- talk to the church leaders and stuff like that, get their support and their, their view on this as well. So I think kind of um, thinking about how Christians are told to be to each other. So you can do uh, use Logos, like uh, James suggested, and look up look up things um, about like how Christians ought to be uh, toward one another. Um, is I think a, a helpful place to start in thinking about that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Read Acts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sermon on the Mount. You know, um, look at how we are to to care for, to love, to challenge one another, um, and how we do that in in love yeah um yeah is there anything else before we wrap up i think that's awesome this afternoon if you're if you're interested so i'm talking a bit about the the brain in particular i'll do a quick run through of typically in sort of uh, laboratory conditions how the brain um develops so that you have a sort of based understanding of sort of uh um, quick brain 101 how it develops uh and then uh, what that looks like in terms of mental health. So where in the brain does mental health function, right? Um, so our brain is a, a powerful thing and it's processing basically our entire lived experience all the time and helping us to understand that. So looking at how mental health and that sort of functions in terms of how our brain works. Cool. Awesome. Well done, class. I release you all. Yeah. Is it all good if I just take a uh, second to pray for you guys? Is that awesome? All right. Let me pray. God, I thank you for these uh, such wonderful, complicated, uh, beautiful and messy people, Lord, who um, by your goodness and your grace you've brought here um, uh, to to region this weekend to see and know you better, Lord, um, Lord, so they can serve uh, each other and uh, your body, Lord, uh, all the better. Father, I pray that you would... Keep them, Lord, that you continue to grow them, Lord, that they would seek your face uh, in your word. Lord, as they look to uh, grow in knowledge, when they look at the wor- world, that they would see that through the lens of your, your word. God, we pray that uh, throughout this weekend that you uh, would be glorified and we would be edified. In your name we pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thanks, guys.